0: If you don't have a Bible this morning, you're going to want one. Lift up your, um, your hand and we'll get one to you. And then open it up, please, to the Gospel of Genesis, chapter 39. As we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Word of God. In America... And in Australia, and in other places of the such, Mother's Day is actually in May. same in Spain. So you know what that means for my wife in Sweden as well. Da. That means that um, that means that Suzanne's trying to cash in on two of them. That's what I mean. All right. I, I don't blame her. All right. Why don't we stand while we read the word, and then well you can sit down for the rest of it. But we have our own rituals, don't we? It's, you know that's why we keep. I mean, with all the food we feed you and all of the different things, um, you might as well stand and sit at least a little bit here and there. Um, by the way, Marcy um, has made um, cupcakes for the mums, and there are many others for the rest of you. But that's why they call us Calorie Chapel, of course. Come grow with us. Okay, here we go. Chapter thirty-nine, verse one. Now, Joseph sorry, rented lips. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. And Parfar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man, and and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. His master saw that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptians' house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had, in the house, and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had, except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass, after those or these things, that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, Lie with me. But he refused, then said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as he spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph was into, went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house wasn't, were inside, that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled and he ran outside. And so it was when she saw that He had left his garment in her hand and fled outside. That she called to the men of the house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when I heard, I'm sorry, when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she left his garment with her. Or she kept his garment with her until his master came home. She was holding that garment the whole time. Then she spoke to him with words like them, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. And so it was. When his master heard the words, which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. but The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand. All the prisoners who were in the prison, whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look unto anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Will you pray with me, please? God, I pray right now that you would do more than transfer information but that you would communicate with our minds and our hearts. God, that we would hear you and we would understand you and know you better and your call on our lives. Oh, Lord, please, for the languages here that are represented as first languages as English be their second, please, today, Translate this even as I speak into their own hearts and ears so that they can understand better, God. That we all could understand better. Truth be told, whether this is spoken in Swahili or English, unless your Holy Spirit interpret it for us, God, it'll just be words bouncing off of our heads. So God, I pray today that you would speak to every, every, every one of us here. Individually as well as corporately as a body. That we would have fun in your word. That your word would come alive. And that we would come alive as we hold on to it. May we worship you, Lord, in the study of your word now. Lord, may we understand this deeper and more meaningfully and more personally and more powerfully and more practically than we ever have. And please today, minister, perform the therapy you desire on each of us. Keep me clear and concise and speak exactly what you want to that you know will minister profoundly to each of us and don't allow me to say a word beyond. And I commit this to you and I pray that you immerse me in your spirit that the world that this precious fellowship would see you and that you fill me to overflowing that you use me the way that you desire. But please minister to me and through me, I pray. And may each of us May we all be able to walk out of here saying today, I met God today and I responded accordingly. So Lord, save if there be any who within this sound have yet to know you. Strengthen the weak hands that hang limp. Encourage the discouraged. Challenge the complacent. Warn the unruly. But just don't leave us alone, we pray. And may we, every one of us, walk out of here completely and absolutely encouraged and all the more equipped for what you've called each of us to. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I would say this morning as I would any, or afternoon I suppose, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Let the Bible always have the final say. In Genesis chapter 30, verse 24, we are introduced to the young man we see here. His name is Yosef. Yosef, or Yoshef, means he will add. It is two sisters married to the same man. The prettier one, by the way, having no children. The older, or the, the older one, the, less, the unloved, the less pretty one, has four and in a society where children bring honor to a woman, especially a married woman, of course, the prettier one for the first time more than likely in her life has doesn't have the upper hand. She's not the favored one at the moment. Her sister has four boys. She cries out to her husband. Cries out to the Lord, and the Lord opens up her womb. And the boy is born, and she names him. God's going to give me another one. How would you like that as a name, gentlemen? After all, her sister had four. And the first boy is born, and the idea is, oh, well, can't wait for another one now. But he happens to be dad's favorite. When this boy is born in chapter 30, the next verse we read, as soon as he's born, at this point, finally, the dad says, Now let's leave Laban's household, this house that he's living in, the house of a deceiver, his father in law. With the nine kids, I should say, with the ten kids prior to this, ten boys prior to this, he was okay with living in this environment. But now that a child of Rachel is born, I want out. How would you feel if you were one of the other ten? When he's about to meet his brother that he thinks is going to kill him, he puts people in parties, sends the ones he loves the least in the front. The ones in the last, Rachel and the boy Joseph. How would you like to be in the front party there? And the idea of it is, my brother might kill me, so let's let him kill the people that are least, that are most expendable to the front, and maybe he'll be too tired to kill the ones I really love. Everything we know about Joseph before chapter 37 is more circumstantial. In chapter 37, by that point, by the way, his mom has passed away, because, well... Joseph has a little brother named Benjamin, and she died giving birth to that other one that God will add. Joseph's the oldest of the two, of course. And in chapter 37, Joseph is sent to check up on his brothers, and he's faithful. By the way, Dad has four wives, the two sisters and their maids. And the two maids, by the way, have sons as well, two apiece. And this boy is sent, talk about a dysfunctional family. And he's sent to go check up on these boys, and he gives a bad report. He was faithful to do what he was asked. But in being faithful to do what he was asked, his brothers hated him. Understandably, he gave a bad report. Now, with that, Joseph gets a couple dreams. And in those dreams, he, the dreams are of elevation. And the first of them, that these, these 11 brothers of his will all be bowing to him. Now understand, he has no vision here of why God's going to do it or what God's going to do in that. All he knows is that God is going to lift him to a place where his brothers, ten of which are older, will be bowing to him. And needless to say, telling your brothers may not be the wisest thing. They already couldn't speak peaceably to him, which means they never had, never had a nice thing to say. How would you like to live in a house with 10 older brothers that never, never say a kind thing to you? Would you at that point spout off with a dream you had of how they're all going to bow to you? Would you quietly not say something? You know what? There's two kinds of little brothers, aren't there? The little brother who wouldn't say anything for fear of the getting your head shoved in the toilet and the flush or whatever it is. And the one that would actually be the scrappy one that would say, yeah, yeah, whatever. Well, let me just tell you what God showed me. And Joseph seems to be that one. he has a second dream in that chapter and by the second dream his parents will also be or his father as well will be bowing. Now in all of this, Joseph is only loved apparently by his dad. While he's loved by his dad his brothers are hate him and it's interesting because all of that takes us from when he's 17 years old and the next time stamp we will get in his life was when he's 30. At 30, he will start his public ministry of actually saving the world, sincerely. At 30, so somewhere between 17 years old and 30, he's going to be in Egypt. He's going to serve this man. But we saw at the end, he'll be in prison. And we know that he's in prison for at least two years. Now, we don't even know how long. So somewhere in those 13 years, those 13 years are all going to be Time where he's either at Potiphar's house or he's in the prison. You can decide how long each is. The Bible doesn't make that clear. Joseph will go and check now on Leah, that other woman, the sister. Her well, at that point she actually ultimately has six boys, and he checks on the six of them, and they are well, "We're so tired of this dreamer," and they, they originally they want to kill him, and the well, the old brother says, "You can't do this. Come on." Jesus says, look at, look at, look it. He's our brother. We can't kill him. Let's sell him. And so they sell him to the Midianites, the Ishmaelites, who are traders. They're basically nomads that go from place to place, gather stuff, and sell it in Egypt. And that's what they do. And one of the things they happen to sell are people. Which means, by the way, that Joseph is part of the human traffic, if you think of it. He's humanly trafficked. He is sold then in Egypt... And that puts us at where we're at in this chapter. Now, the question is, if God isn't going to use this guy for the lineage of the Messiah, why does he spend more time on this boy than anyone else in the book of Genesis? Well, might I say, one of the things that becomes clear in this chapter is how clearly the Lord tells us that he was with him. Verse 2 starts with, the Lord was with him. Verse 3, and the master saw that the Lord was was with him. Do you see that? And we're going to go, as we follow on from that, in verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 23, because the Lord, it's actually verse 21 says, but the Lord was with Joseph. Do you see that? In verse 23 we read, because the Lord was with him. And we're going to get to that as a point in a moment. Now, with that in mind, that takes us to the beginning of this thing. Now, I'd like you to consider the fact here that the Lord has clearly made some form of Um, clear statement to Joseph that Joseph is called to do something. He doesn't even know what. All he knows is somehow God's going to use him. Well, what happens when God uses you? you? And here's the strange thing. Put yourself in this position. Joseph could not be in a set of circumstances more opposite than what God has already made clear. Now, God hasn't made a lot clear, but the thing God has made clear is the one thing Joseph can't seem to get. I mean, would you get it out of this? If you knew that somehow God is going to use you in a profound way, Do you really think being in Egypt hundreds of miles away is going to actually be the place where God's going to do that? Would you really think being sold into the hands of this individual and then by the end of it all being in prison is going to be the place where God's going to raise you to a place of superiority? You see, though God has placed the call of greatness on Joseph's life, one thing becomes evident. There is no plan of man that can stop that even if all the circumstances seem to be completely the opposite. Now, I can tell you this. God is a calling on your life, specifically yours. And by the way, Landon's call is not my call. Bjorn's call is not my call. My call is my call. And in that call, if you feel it to be too granderous or too crazy, well, then I think you need more faith. Do I think that God wants to save London? Of course I think God wants to save London. Do I think he wants to use me? Of course I think God wants to use me. Why would I be here if I didn't? But I also think God wants to use you. And maybe you're in a situation much like Joseph's right now where your circumstances are very opposite of that. Are they more opposite than Joseph's are? I mean, do you really think, I mean, Joseph is, by the, by, in this one chapter, Joseph is sold, he's a slave, he is framed and falsely accused, and then he's in prison. Any of you really think your situation's worse than his? His? You're probably American. You know how we always try to compare. I've had a bad day. Well, mine's worse. You know Well, anyways, you you get to this and I realize if God were to speak all that he had to Joseph, which he hasn't, it's look at, I'm raising you up to save the world. But Joseph doesn't know that. All he knows is that God is raising him up. He doesn't even know the what for yet. All he knows is a bit of the what. Much like ourselves. Verse 1 says that Joseph was taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, and we read a few things about the guy. Notice the three things we read. One thing God's gonna make, He's gonna emphasize in this chapter is that he's Egyptian. What do you do? What does that mean? Well, just calling him an Egyptian comes with a whole lot of other things you would expect to come with it. There are certain cultures today that there are certain things you just know if they're actually a part of that culture, certain things come with it. In Sicily, we're told there is no adultery because the punishment for adultery is you shoot them. I tell you what, it's great prevention at least. You know, they can't commit adultery twice, I guess. Unless you're really batting. So if somebody were to, even if you were like the biggest biggest swinger out there and someone said, let me introduce you to this gal. She's a Sicilian wife. That would be enough to know. With that package comes a shot in the head if you really want to take this any farther. That's the idea. And What what do we know about Egyptians? And we're looking at 3,000 years ago. It was really one of the greatest standards of moral behavior, strangely enough. Now there were certain areas. They got wasted all the time. As a matter of fact, beer was a really big deal in Egypt. I could actually show you wall reliefs that I actually have copies of, images of, that show people, literally I kid you not and this is on tombs throwing up. I mean, it looks like Camden and it's throwing up, and it says underneath it, "Where can I go that I may find more beer?" Now, I don't know Who puts that in the, on their grave? Well, probably a handful of people, you think. But, but, and, and, but in all of that, the marriage, interestingly enough, was, in some circles, very sacred. What we do know about this guy is that he's not just an Egyptian, but he's also the commander of the Pharaoh's secret service. So he's the... He's the commander of MI9. That's the idea. He's, you know, he's the guy that, you know, that is gonna be watching over. I mean, think about what that means though for him. He has been, and you know, I'm playing with that. You know, he's, he's entrusted with the one thing that Pharaoh holds most sacred, which is his own life. That man would be able to say, I am also a man in charge. I'm able to say this go there and this man goes or stay and this man stays because I'm a man under authority. That authority has been granted to me by a person who trusts me with his life. But let's go beyond that. This is what I also you might not know about Egypt. Lots of pressure rests on the Pharaoh. See, the Pharaoh was responsible for all the gods that they worshipped. Bugs, the God of Eternity Scarab, right? You know what that is? It's a dung beetle. That's They roll up poop. You got the idea? That's your eternal? I'm not... Anyways, it just says something. But the Pharaoh was the guy that was in charge of a thing called the Ka. And what the Ka was, was the order of the universe. So basically, he was one of your first atheists in the sense that he felt like he had to hold the whole universe in, in place. But the idea was is that he, if the world kind of fell apart, you turned to the Pharaoh and said, What's up, buddy? Well, you wouldn't say it like that, you got killed, but you get the idea. Because he was the one supposed to be responsible for keeping the world in order. So you can, by the way, that pumps us up a little bit and prepares us for when Moses has that showdown. Because the world falls apart in front of Pharaoh, and everyone's going to realize that Pharaoh, he doesn't have control over any of it. He's going to lose his own son. So he's responsible for that. by the way, that was usually handed over for what it's worth by a woman. Usually, that was one of the reasons why the pharaoh's daughters often married their brothers. Because if a brother wanted to be next in line, he had to marry a sister to do so, because she was going to be the one that picked the the next pharaoh. So you can imagine what that does to a pharaoh. But in in these days, there is this expectation, and the expectation was life for life. That was one of the first standards that was set in Egypt, life for life. Which, by the way, means this, if a man gets anywhere near even to attempt to kill me, I kill you as a result of that. I need a guy that much I can trust. Nobody would be more trained in how to kill a man than than Potiphar would be. If he is the commander, not a, but the commander, then he is a man who was trained to kill anybody because he can't let him pass them. So you are working for the one guy... That has no problem killing anyone with his bare hands. And he always has a weapon on him just in case he doesn't want to get his hands dirty. Now, with that in mind, that's who Joseph is sold by. Now, you know, sold it, sold to. So this guy is looking at the slave market and all of these guys go on the block, one at a time. And as they go on the block, Potiphar, by the way, because of his position, is able to actually look at all of the men before they go on the block. He can actually call a man or buy a man before they go on the block. That's key. Now, we don't read that Joseph is the only one bought, but we do know he is bought. So let's just say that the Ishmaelites come here, the Midianite traders, and let's just say they had 20 guys. Who knows? And other guys came with other guys. And there's a room full of a 100 men. Potiphar walks into this place. All of those guys are in order. And they they line up all of the guys. And Potiphar is able to go and take a look at all of the guys. And as he looks at all of the guys, now think about this. He looks at them all and he goes, that one. Whether he said more than one, clearly he said that one and that one was Joseph. More than likely he was taken before he ever made it onto an auction block because he would just be able to take him. So with that, how would you like to be Joseph? You're pretty special. You just got picked by the one guy who doesn't have a problem killing anyone. How do you feel about that? The good news is you are in a home that's one of the richest homes in all of Egypt. Because Pharaoh is going to make sure that this man is happy. The last guy you want angry at you is the guy who protects you. Does that make sense? Which, by the way, will become play really huge when we get to the story of David. Because in David's life, one of his chief bodyguards is a guy, by the way, that he has murdered because he makes his wife pregnant. And David's chief counselor happens to be the girl's grandpa. That's just bad all over the place. In this situation Joseph is sold into this. The man is wealthy, he has many servants. He has Now, with that in mind, notice what it says. It says, in this situation he brought him down to the Ishmaelites, he taken him down. Potiphar buys him and in verse 2 we read, the Lord was with Joseph. Now, I guarantee you at a moment like this, if you were Joseph, you might not feel it as much as the Bible makes clear to us. Does that make sense? But one thing is really clear is God's not a territorial god. It isn't like God was just the God at Bethel, or God was just the God in Israel. We're down in Egypt now, and down in Egypt, you ever have those places where you just kind of show up and you would go, this is a dark place. You walk in this place, there are five-story statues of false gods everywhere. And you walk in and you just go, this is a place that God clearly isn't welcome. And the Lord speaks and says, hey, I'm still with you here. It's at a time like that where you feel like you're really not where you belong. I mean, you, you want to go someplace safe where you could be surrounded by other people who love you and hug you and, and sing a praise song and we can share headphones while we listen to the new Chris Tomlin release or whatever and everything's all happy and warm and fuzzy. And then you walk to Camden again and you realize someone's playing songs. They're like, and you're like okay, I'm back in Egypt. And God's like, look at, I'm still here. I'm still here doing it. And I still never changed my mind about the calling I placed on your life. I never changed my mind about that. My calling is still a calling. And my calling, by the way, my gifts and my calling are irrevocable. I made that clear in Romans. The Lord was with them and he was a successful man. Now, notice that. Now, now, the word success, by the way, and here's one of the few words that I'll give you in the Hebrew, is the word tale. What'd you say tale? That's an important word. The word "tale," by the way, comes from a root word that means, by the way, all Hebrew words come from a verb. I don't know if you know that. And you have to try to make a noun out of a verb. Well, the verb, by the way, the base verb for this is the idea of passing through a river. The idea is that you actually start a journey, but you finish it. You get to the other side. And I like that as God equates prosperity here in that sense. And the idea of it is whatever Joseph put his hands to, he got it done. I mean, a real prosperous guy in this sense, it wasn't just like what what he did is he went and he played the stocks or, you know, he went and he actually took some money and shot off to quick silver or, you know, our lad broke. You should know what the name like lad broke if you go into a place like that. But, you know, and he just laid it on the right horse. And the next thing you know, he shot back and he's like, look, and I tripled your income. That isn't what's happening. The idea of it is whatever the guy did, he was able to cross the river with. He was able to get to the other side of it. Now, with that in mind, it says that the Lord was with him, he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Don't miss that, because what that meant was somehow in God's blessing, he knew how to put him in the right place at the right time. What if Joseph did everything really well, but he was sort of way, way back of the line? He's just a Hebrew boy in the side of, a, of an Israelite I'm sorry, in the side of an Egyptian community. What's to make him someone that should be in the sight of Pharaoh, or i should say, in the sight of Potiphar, enough to notice him doing well? Have you ever been in the place where you feel like I can do something really well, but no one seems to notice? Now we don't know. Again, in these 13 years, how long this is this is going to happen? before all of the other things come down. But this could be 10 years of I'm just doing stuff and doing stuff and doing stuff and doing stuff and it's done well. And that he doesn't get credit for it. We don't know. And he does something else and it's done well and, no, and maybe somebody else gets the credit for it. Now some of you are in businesses and I know this because I've been in businesses of performing arts as well that sometimes it's not even about how good you are. It's just about being at the right place at the right time in front of the right person doing the right thing. And you're like, God, how do I fabricate and make that happen and force a traffic jam so the other person shows up late and I'm the only, you know, how do I make that kind of happen? What we see in this is when the Lord is with you, He knows how to put you where you need to be, when you need to be, doing what you need to be doing. And that's something really cool about that because to be honest, it takes the pressure off of me being the Pharaoh. I should pity Pharaoh who feels like he has to try to keep the whole universe in order, but do you feel like Pharaoh here today? Well, you feel like you've got to keep it all in order. I mean, as a man who's a husband and a father, there's a lot of things that I take very seriously about my responsibilities. And there's a part of it that could really stress me out if it weren't for the fact that I'm not Pharaoh. Pharaoh's not even really Pharaoh. God's the only one who holds the universe together. And in this, here's poor Joseph. He got sold and you're like, wow, this is a bit of a setback. God said he was going to do something really great, and his brothers are like, I hate you, I want you dead. And then, I mean, imagine, and they, they take the coat that clearly shows God's or the, his father's favor on him, and they send it before dad, and dad's weeping, and they have to try to comfort dad with lies, because they're the ones who sold him in the first place. And Joseph, now, he doesn't know any of that. All he knows is he's in Egypt, he's sold to a guy who has no problem killing people, and somewhere down the line, Potiphar walks by and he goes, wow, who did that? And Joseph's going to be like, well, oh, I kind of did. But what was that? Was it a cleaner floor? I mean, what is it that Joseph would have been? He was a slave. He set the table well. But later, what we read is that Pharaoh made him, I'm sorry, sorry, Potiphar made him overseer of his entire house. Now, wait a minute, what does that mean? Well, think about your house. What would it be like if God gave you a big house? A handful of servants. Some of you start daydreaming from that alone, you know. A couple cars. Everything's all paid for. Sainsbury's just shows up with whatever you order at any point. You don't have to worry about who's going to pay the bill for it or whatever the case is. And in all of that, you turn around and you say, "Charlene, it's all yours now. I'm not going to worry about it anymore." What does she have the responsibility to do? All my bills better be paid. House better be clean. Kids better be taken care of. Cars better have petrol in them. Nothing should be broken in the house. Nothing. If it's broken, make sure it gets fixed. Don't bother me with that. I'm busy protecting Pharaoh. Think about it. Here's my checkbook. Don't worry about it. Here's my ATM card. Order what you need to order. Take care of what you need to take care of. Make sure and get it done. I'm going to forget about it. That's a Hebrew boy sold into an Egyptian community, into a pagan community, and here's a boy that has all that responsibility. Could you imagine? And I remind you, he showed up there 17 years old. This could have all happened in a month. How would you like to be 18, 19, and responsible for, in some cases, one of the 10 most influential, important men in all of the political world, of the world as you know it? That won't have a problem killing you if you do it poorly. Maybe that's inspiration alone. But but in this, he gives him I mean, think about all that responsibility. And I and I look at that and I tend to think there must be a part of, of Potiphar that looks and says, You know what? If Pharaoh could trust me with his life, I guess I can trust you with my house. And there's only one thing he doesn't give him, and that's his wife. Which by the way tells you a little bit about Potiphar, who seems to be a bit different than the cougar that he married. You know what I mean. Joseph found favor in his sight. And the Lord, again, the Lord just, everything he did, he made him prosper. In other words, everything he did, he was able to take to the end. verse 5, it was at that time that he made him overseer of his house, and the Lord blessed. When the Lord is with you, when the Lord is with you, he tends to bless those that you're with. The more that... Listen, listen, listen. The more that Potiphar handed over his house to this blessed son, the more he handed it over, the more blessed his house became. Joseph will, in more than in hundreds, literally hundreds of ways, parallel Jesus. But might I just say, the more you hand your house over to the blessed son, the more it will be blessed. Hand over your bills. Now, you're going, you're going, well, wait a minute. What does that mean? Just drop off my checkbook at the church. Don't do that. But if Jesus really was the Lord of your checkbook, where would that money go? Now, I'm not talking about here. We're not, we never pass a hat. There's a box in the back. It's all you ever get. But where would it go? Do you really think you'd honor God if you gave 10% to one thing and spent the other 90 on an addiction? You really think God's placated by that? If you gave God your checkbook, what would happen? If you gave God your household, if you gave God your telly, what would happen? How many shows do you really think Jesus would be really comfortable sitting next to you watching? We rented this movie, it's so funny. And then they use the Lord's name in vain just once. How do you think Jesus would respond to that? Now I'm not here to play the heavy, I'm here just to bring reality. What if we did hand our house? And we wonder why our house may not be blessed, but it's sort of like we're playing Beauty and the Beast and we're like, the West Wind, you cannot go to the West Wind. You know what? Well, what is that? Don't go there! It's like, Lord, look it, you gotta have the whole house. I want the whole house to be blessed. Well, the more he hands it over, the more it's blessed. By the way, that's consistent. 2 Samuel 6.11, some of you are familiar with the story when the Ark of God was taken captive and it comes back and they bring it to a guy's house of an Edom, which, by the way, means red servant. And as it does, the house was totally blessed as long as the Ark was there. And just think about it. What if you just knew? When you walk into the room and there's the Ark and you want to say something, and you're like, oh, I got this. I heard this really funny joke. And somebody goes, you Ark is there. Ark is there. You can't say that. Oh, sorry. You're on the phone, you're talking to someone. Yo, yo, what's up? I was thinking about, and you see there, like, I'm going to go into the other room. Think about what our lives would be like if we were that, if we really knew that well that the Lord was just there. The problem is, with us, he is. He's all inside of us. There's no place you can drop God off. But if of fact, God even says, do you really want to unite Christ with a prostitute? You know what that means? That means no matter where you go, you're not leaving him in the car. It isn't like, all right, Jesus, I'm going to leave you at this bus stop. I'm going to go do some sinning, and then I'm going to come back and pick you up so we can go and be holy again. There's just none of that. Jesus is like, I'm going to go with you. Either you're going to enjoy me, or I'm going to irritate you and make unfun what you thought would be fun. Have you ever been there? Where you just totally thought it was going to be totally fun, and then you sat down for a second, and the Lord's like, so this is what you call fun, huh? And you're like, oh, man, I just knew it. It's like taking your mom to your first party as a kid. She's like, wow, this is really fun for you, huh? Oh, mom. But not everybody sees the blessing of the Lord in a way that's actually beneficial. See, listen, some people don't have a good category for a blessed person. Especially when it comes to the area of men with women. You, you learn this. And this is, and I honestly, to be honest, this is seriously the hardest area of my ministry. Because if, the, in a perfect world, I would love to minister to all of you absolutely the same. And it, you know, and unfortunately, even in the world we live in, it's not even women, it's guys too, you know this. It's like and you just want to dump love on them and tell them that they're important and they they find it at the cross and you just love on them and I just want to spend time with you and you know, and like you can call me at any time, text me and tell me how I could be praying for you and all that. And some people don't have a category for that other than it's romantic. And the older I get, the weirder it gets for me because I think, man, you should be going after Landon or something or whatever. And that's not, not a suggestion. But the whole point of it is, I mean, you just kind of, but there's just some people it's like it doesn't matter. And it's like, and and it breaks my heart because it really is painful to try to temper your compassion with wisdom. Does that make sense? But unfortunately, there are some people. They'll never. It doesn't matter what you do, and you know this, ladies. There are some of you. It doesn't matter how modest you dress, and I don't mean to freak out. You know, there's some people are just going to figure it out on their own. And, And then the reason I say that is, is that we just live in a fallen world. And this poor guy is serving in a house, and he's doing his job well. Whether that's scrubbing a floor or fixing something or handling the servants or paying a bill or ordering food or whatever he's doing, the guy's just doing it well. And there's some girl that looks and goes, "Mm -mm -mm, he does it well, but it's not the same thing now. And it happens to be the guy's wife that doesn't have a problem killing you. And so, she looks and we read that she casts lying eyes, she casts longing eyes on him, and she doesn't even play the game of playing coy. She just says, she just sort of puts on a little Kenny G in the background, and she kind of slips on some kind of thing, and she just kind of opens up the door and just kind of lays, you know, leans against it for a second, and he just kind of looks and goes, oh no, tell me this isn't what it's supposed to be, and she looks, and she just removes all doubt, lie with me. You can't get more brazen than that. It wasn't like she was even throwing a double entendre where it's like, I wonder what she really means by that. Lie with me. Do you think she's tired and she needs somebody to get, take a nap with? It's pretty obvious what she means. And Joseph kind of looks at it and he looks and, and it's like interesting because it says he refused in verse eight and he says, look it. My master has committed does not know what is in my, what is in this house. He's committed everything to me. The only thing he knows is what he's eating. And by the way, if you know guys, that's like oh, cl- pretty close to heaven. Don't give me any responsibility. Just put some food in front of me. I'm happy. You know? And, and, and it's like, and it's like, I've made my master happy because to be honest, he's not had to concern himself with stuff he doesn't have to concern himself with anymore. And it's a blessing for me to do that. And he's given me so much trust that he even trusts me with you. Now, in a moment like that, you think, how can I blow it against my boss? Because he's just given his boss a high write-up. But instead he goes, but how can I blow it against God? Because if you really think you're serving man, sooner or later you'll get to a point where that man becomes more human and you'll find a reason to do something against him. It happens in every marriage if you're not careful. If you start serving your spouse instead of serving the Lord... There's a moment where you'll be like, I didn't realize you were that human. I'm done serving you. And you go, well, how in the world did that happen? Well, you really stopped serving the right person the moment you started serving them outside of the Lord. You want to find a reason not to serve someone? All you have to do is find out that they're human. And the problem is, there isn't a one of us that isn't. You start serving something within a church... May you never forget you're serving Christ, because the moment you find out that anybody that you're working with or serving with in a fellowship, you're going to discover they're all terribly human. Can I just say this? I fart. Deal with that. Sorry. <laughs> now that we got that on the table, some of you are like, I'm leaving the church. Well, look, at At least you realize that you're le- And And it isn't like I'm going to like sit on your head or something, but the, the, re- and the only reason I say that is we're just human. We're just human. And it's like, you know, and it's like, I don't, I don't need to point out someone else's things. And now, by the way, I've taken all the ammunition away from my kids. But! He looks and he goes, look, I can't do this against God because, and now think of, now think about this, think about this. Because this flies in the face of a lot of really dumb teaching that happens in some churches today where they're like, you just have to learn how to forgive God. Of what? Your life's a little rough right now and you somehow think that God was just supposed to massage you into heaven from this point on? You're like Kobe Beef, you know? He's just like, oh, you just tell me where, tell me where it hurts, you know? And it's like, excuse me, the Lord, by the way, remember, don't forget the Lord's the sculptor and you're the rock. And I guarantee you the rock never loves the chisel until he knows that it's actually making him something beautiful. And we'd say, you know, can you make me something beautiful without this? And God says, nope. Did I happen to mention this isn't an elective? This is a required class? You're like, I don't like that. And you could say at this moment, you know, let's face it. If you went, like, if you went to the Church of Oprah at a moment like this, you would be able to say, you know what, you know what, yeah. I, I, I was, I was. Getting, like, he gave me this vision. My brothers practically killed me. They sold me. I went into this place, and I've been like working every day. And this chick keeps throwing herself at me. Come on! I mean, look at this. I'm in Egypt for goodness sakes. Fine. I deserve. I deserve a break today. I'm entitled to do something stupid. Any of you actually ever really genuinely think that? Maybe even word for word? I have. The enemy loves to throw things like that out. You're entitled to do something. You really... Oh, spite yourself. Hurt yourself. You're entitled to do something stupid you can regret tomorrow. Oh, just do it. And you think, yeah. Now that I think about it, (laughs) my life's rough. I'm entitled to make it rougher. Yeah, I'm entitled to go and sleep with this gal that is the wife of my boss who can kill anyone at any moment. Yeah, this is good. Yeah, I'm entitled to that. Talk to a guy who's lost his family because of adultery. All he has to do is get you, the enemy, all he has to do is get you thinking that everything's this moment. Isn't that what he does? It's all this moment, man. It's all this moment. Beyond this moment, don't worry about the results of that. This is the moment. Just this. This is it. You're an inch away from getting something that you really want, and there's that moment that's like, well, you're gonna have to compromise to get it here. Really? Oh come on, just a little compromise right now. Then the cash, you pay off now. You cash out. But you just opened a door for a further and a further compromise. And Joseph, by the way, one thing we read about Joseph, we have no sin this guy's done. Now clearly he's human, he's done something. God was kind enough not to record any. And here's one of those moments where Joseph scored big by not scoring big. Can I say that? And the other thing he goes, look it, this isn't, the issue is not you, the issue is not my boss. The issue is God. I belong to him which, by the way, has to be the way you view it, too, if you belong to Jesus. Because if you belong to anyone else, you're going to do it. You're going to fall. The worst part about this, and by the way, I'm, Proverbs 7, uh, one of the places I would lead you to, and I would challenge you to take a look at it, starting at about, uh, I don't know, starting right at the beginning of the chapter, all the way through to the 20s, where it says, look at, I was watching, and I saw this guy, and he was a young guy, void of understanding. In other words, he was a stupid young guy, like most stupid young guys. Probably the age of Joseph is here. And I saw this guy and it got dark outside and this is a loose paraphrase, don't believe me, search it on. And he was walking and he was walking in those dark places. And there's a part of you that goes, "Uh Uh-oh, that's not right. And he's walking around, and he's looking like he's looking for something, and then she showed up dressed like a prostitute. So there she was, man, with very little on at a moment like that. It was a little too cold for what she wasn't wearing. And and he looked and she said with an impudent face, she caught him and she kissed him, and with a loud, obnoxious voice, she said, My husband's gone. He took a lot of money. He took a glob of cash. He has a set day that he's going to return. I actually have his flight details. I know what terminal he's showing up at. Oh, he's gone. So come on. Let's go. And we read, and with her seduction, with her eyelids. <laughs> that wasn't to do, to, to do the same thing. It said, with her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. And with her flattering lips, she seduced him. You're looking good. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter. By the way, you've probably never seen an ox argue over the slaughter until it's too late. Or as a fool to the correction of the stocks. That's one of my favorites. In other words, this fool so dumb, he's going to go get beaten. He doesn't even know it. He's like, <laughs> this is fun. What do I do? Put my arms in this? Awesome. Now what? Ah, that hurts. That's what he says. Till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. He didn't know that it would cost him his life. I've sat with men in ministry who stared me with the scariest looks I've ever seen in my face—these blank looks of, of just utter shock. Said I fell. One pastor—the grievous part of it all—is that he was chasing after a girl, clearly not his wife, and she told before he had a chance to do anything. And we're sitting between a plate of cookies. I, I had no, underst- no pre—I had no idea what he was going to tell me when he told me he fell. And then he looks at me and he says, you know what the worst part is? I never even got the cookie. I looked at him with shock. The worst part is you never even got the cookie? He's like, but I got, I got like all the trouble, but none of the, I'm like, bro, you could spend the rest of your life knowing that you didn't defile that girl. The Lord protected you from doing something infinitely more stupid. Please don't be like that, please. And you know what? In this culture, it's not just guys. You know, and you know what the problem is? Like poor Joseph, you could just be doing your job, and even doing it well, and something just throws itself at you. You I mean you're on the tube, and it's like, how in the world's like? You want to look at some of those things and go, "Put your clothes on! How could you sell jeans you're not wearing any?" kind of thing, right? You think, about the first pie, pair I buy goes to her. You got it, yeah. Listen to this in Proverbs 6.25, and we're going to be, you know, a few more minutes, but not too long. In Proverbs 6.25, it says, look it, don't lust after the beauty of such a girl in your heart. Don't let her allure you with her eyelids. For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread. Do you know what a crust of bread is in the sight of these guys? Do you know why they have those big things around on a pasty? You ever, you you know what I'm talking about? Does anyone know what a pasty is here? Right? Okay. Yeah. See, well, pasties were originally made for tin miners, and the idea is tin, as you might know, is toxic. So they had to make this big crust so these guys could hold on to it, eat the rest of it, without actually getting any poison, and they'd have to throw the crust away. So those big parts were the, just the part. They were the handle for your food, is what they were. Now today, that's usually the part that fills you up, so you don't bite two or, in some of our cases, three. But you hold on to. This, and the reason he says that is, look at this is a guy you look at, and when you see it's like, this guy, this guy's strong, man. He was so. And this particular guy I was telling you about, he was an amazing teacher. He was so gifted. I mean, there were times where he would throw these analogies out, and I was like, oh, that was good. That really reached me. And you, and you just look at that, and all of a sudden you look, and it's like at the end of it all, it's like a crest of a or something you throw away, and, and now he's like, just, his life's just thrown away. Please don't be that. And you know, I'm gonna, I could say that until I die, and some people are gonna be like, yeah, I agree with you, and then I'm gonna sit with you in an AIDS hospice or whatever. And and it may never be the case with any of you. Please. And you know the best way to, to do it is is to, to stay away before we even get a chance to. I mean, if you have a problem drinking and you're sitting in front of a bar and you wonder what happened, you gotta go, I was dumb before I you said I'm drinking, I'm dumb. Well, it happened one day, obviously, that he went to do his work and there she is, and it tells us this happened over and over and over again. And then you just get the idea how do you tell your boss who could kill you your wife's a cougar? I mean, how do you tell him that, right? You know, I mean, how do you say that? You know you, you know, you know, wasn't my wife looking really nice today? Oh, what do I say to that? Um, she's right there, going, yeah, don't I look nice today? Yes, you make a lovely couple. You know, what do you say, right? And so, and then it's like every day he's like kind of walking, he's doing his work, and she's just saying, oh hi, you're in here again today. You know, and it tells us he was in the house. In other words, we may even live in that house. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. That's why men fall. Because that's what's in us at birth. Thank you, Lord, for that. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Right? Okay, okay. How many girls do you ever find stuck to a frozen pole with their tongue? Right? None. None. But the guy says, see this scar on my tongue? That scar on my tongue was from what I... Come here, try to lick it. See for yourself. And they're like, oh, okay. Oh, I see it to me. It's like getting a guy's this curiosity, Right? No guy goes, you know, it's like we know that we we to this day will be like, oh, this is the grossest thing I've ever drank. Landon, try this. And Landon's like, oh, I don't really know. Come on, bro, okay. Oh, you're right, this is awful. I was with one of our brothers, and I kid you not, something was so awful, we drank it three times. We took six. So I was like, that couldn't possibly be as gross as I thought it was. Try it again. Oh try it. Oh, that is is gross. Try it again. Oh that is I no, not really, Oh yeah, that's really bad. <laughs> Suzanne, try this. No. End the conversation. Do you what? I'm leaving the room. Landed. Oh, okay. And the points me. No. Oh Lord, you are good. So the difference between this day and any other, it seems like she takes the moment because unlike us, he was by himself. And as he was by himself, she realizes this is the point where it's time to strike. And so she does. By the way, what does it mean that he fled and left his coat? Shouldn't he have grabbed his coat and grabbed it and pulled it and ran? What would have happened if he had grabbed his coat and ran? He would have hurt her. Think about that. This guy was so incredibly noble that even though this gal was throwing herself on him, he wouldn't even hurt her to get away. Isn't that a crazy thought? Because my my, my first thought is that quote's coming with me. Maybe it's because I read this chapter. (laughs) You You know, and it really is. It's moments like this, it's moments like this that you go, oh man, this guy. And by the way, It's going to happen with just about anyone. If it's, it's just going to happen with just about anyone. You don't have to be cute for this. I can can testify to that. But I can say this: that when we were back at the at the church we were at in California, I had an assistant pastor stay with me. Those poor guys, they slept on couches because I wouldn't leave the church alone. Because you just knew that if it was, and sometimes, I mean, on Sunday morning that was four in the morning until two in the next morning and it's like, and you just had different guys do it. And, and, and the reason is, is because you just don't want to be at one in the morning and some girl shows up at the door and, and needs help and you can't help her. I don't want to be in a place where I can't help someone. But You show up and a girl's like that and you're the only one in the room and, you know, in the building and you let her in and go, how do we help you or how do I help you? And then this happens. Isn't that horrible? You know what's even worse is as a pastor, people will believe it right away. It doesn't matter how how decent of a person it is. If a guy's a construction worker and he's been married for ten years and he's been a decent guy, has a couple of beers with the guy at the end of the day, and a couple of things yeah, off, a couple of color, off of color comments, and those kind of things. But when someone says, "I think I heard that he was kind of running off with that other girl," they be like, "Oh come on, not Bob. We know Bob better than that." No, the pastor could be married for over twenty years. He could be a decent guy. He's never done a thing wrong that anyone's ever known. They go, "I heard that he was running off with his secretary," and and, they, and people would be like, "Oh, I just." ghost that figures isn't it amazing because the enemy just loves to make that kind of thing happen and you just can't be guys you just can't be and ladies too you can't be too careful and in this she just kind of plays the whole game look at you know he just he's here to mock us and the whole bit and so as a result of that this is where we get to it it says in this that in verse 19 when the master heard those words of his wife's accusations your servant did this in this manner that his anger was aroused now before we get any farther for a second and we're we're near the end of this now let me just say this. Does it say who his anger was aroused too? It doesn't. It just says his anger was aroused. He was, he was jealous. He was an angry man at this point. And of course he was. Your wife just told you that somebody dove on her. What do you say? Here's the thing. The law in that point will allow him to kill him with his bare hands. And he had no shortage of weapons. This was his house. No shortage of weapons to take that guy and fillet him, splay him, dice him and do whatever he wants to do with him. Why doesn't he kill Joseph? The only reasonable answer I can give you, but I have to make clear is my opinion is I think he knew something was wrong with this. But he couldn't just let him go free either. There's another thing that's clear in that and that's actually the fact in verse 20 when it says Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison. And the reason I say that is in the Hebrew, there are certain verb tenses that something is intensive. It's called PL, for instance, is one hiphil. In other words, something that it could say like, this happened, it shook, you shook, he shook, or you really shook him. And they're all different verb tenses. For those of you who are people of other languages, you know that those kind of things are a lot more clear than in English. Well, if you really thought that Joseph was so bad, wouldn't he have really took him and really threw him into prison? That's what I would have done at best. But it says he just simply took him and he put him in prison. We don't need any intense action in all of that. And that leads me to believe at least either the guy's fantastic control of his emotion or he kind of knows that his wife's a, 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 not the thing that she should be. Now, Joseph, you've been good. You would have thought that your nobility and your righteousness would be rewarded by God immediately. Come on. I did what was right. I didn't do what was wrong over and over and over and over again this could be years that she kept tossing herself at him and he kept going no i'm not even going really to not going not gonna to do that i'm not even going to be with you i'm not even going to be in the same room with you And that's kind of the idea of what had been said earlier. So that means she's kind of been chasing after him. I mean, it just gets worse and worse and worse. She gets worse and worse and worse. Her clothes are less and less. She keeps more and more obvious. She started with lie with me. There's not far to go from there. Sooner or later, he's just trying to mop the floor and she's running around the house naked. I mean, the reason I say that is, I mean, you're going like, oh, come on. I'm just trying to serve God here. That's it. She's like, Joseph, Oh, not again, please. And it isn't like you can quit. There's no bureau you can call and say, "Hey, look at, I'm being sexually harassed here." Who do you talk to? The guy that would be in charge of that committee would be your boss, the husband, anyways. So it says in verse 21, and this is what I want to kind of wrap around with, and, and just consider this with me. And, for, and, and we start a little late, but I just I can't I can't not say this. In verse 21, notice it says, "But the Lord was with Joseph," and notice in verse 23 it says, "Because the Lord was with Joseph." What you're going to find is everything in your life is either going to be but the Lord was with or because the Lord was with. Now in the end of it all, the jailer, which by the way would be servant to Potiphar. Understand, the jailer's boss is Potiphar because this jailer is responsible for the enemies of the king. Those guys that might want to kill the pharaoh. Who is his boss? It's Potiphar. That's a weird combination. Think about it. And he leaves him in charge. What is Joseph in charge of? He's in charge of the prisoners? Well, what does that mean? To make sure they don't escape? But he's a prisoner himself. Do you really have that kind of trust in a guy that you think, one guy escapes, they kill me? That's a lot of trust. And wouldn't that guy be the one guy that's like, come on, I'm gonna let you all go free. He's the one to make sure they all get fed. He's the one that makes sure that they actually are all taken care of, and that's all handed to Joseph, a prisoner? Have you ever heard of something so crazy? And why? Because the Lord was with them? And all of a sudden the prisoners have never been more better cared for than this? And it got me thinking, wow. If the jailer was overcome, he'd have to die. And then I think, wow, Jesus had talked about how he had come to release those that were in captivity. When he did that, the jailer wasn't just your jailer, is not no longer just somebody doesn't you got a demoted. The jailer died. The moment Jesus came in and overcame the strong man and let you free, the jailer doesn't even live anymore. Now in this situation, listen. God gave Joseph a vision because God was with him. That vision wasn't well received by his brothers, but the Lord was with him. He was disdained and betrayed and sold off, but the Lord was with him. He was taken far from the father who loved him, but the Lord was with him. He was sold to be a servant in a pagan home, but the Lord was with him. And he was given favor to his boss or by his boss and made responsible over his whole household because the Lord was with him. He was sexually harassed and accused of rape, but the Lord was with him. And he wasn't killed, though he should have been, because the Lord was with him. He was jailed instead, but the Lord was with him. And he was given favor by the jailer and made responsible because the Lord was with him. Do you get that? I might say, what would it be like if we treated each other that way? Well, we give God the honor because of what he does, because he's with us. I just got a break. I made the audition. Oh, wow, they decided to drop my property tax because the Lord is with you. Ah, I just got a parking ticket with that extra money. But the Lord is with you. I was just diagnosed by the doctor with something that may take my life. But the Lord is with you. I just got healed because the Lord is with you. Go give him praise for that. I just got fired from my job. Things aren't looking good. Bills are piling up. But the Lord is with you. Wow, somehow they all wound up getting paid because the Lord is with you. Do you get it? In Joseph's life, one thing we start to realize is the one consistency is that the Lord is with us. And because the Lord is with us, amazing things will happen But the world is still the world and rough things are going to happen, but the Lord is still with you. So you did something really stupid and you sinned. And as a result of that, you're paying the penalty for it in the world somehow. But the Lord is still with you. And in it, you found forgiveness because the Lord is still with you. And in that, you are gonna, you know that you're going to face some trials, but the Lord is with you. And though the Lord is with you, He has a call on your life He's not changing His mind on, whatever it is. And I guarantee you, He wants to raise up every one of you and me to make a difference in this world, to be used to change this world, to bring Him in it. Because He's with you. But the world's not going to be really happy about that because He's with us. And that will make our life a bit rough at times, but the Lord is still with us. And friends, I just want to pray for you. But let me say this. It starts with this. In all of it, we can recognize the Lord is with me. The Lord is with me. The Lord is with me. But the question is, what if God were to try to do that with me or you? Would he be able to say, well, she's with me. Because my life isn't as consistent as his is. The Lord's like, I wanted to do this amazing thing, but he wasn't with me in that moment. Oh, he was still with, God was still with me, but I wasn't with his program. Does that make sense? And it's like, I had this person I wanted him to share with. And he even talked about how crazy he wants to be in me. And he said, oh, that's a little crazy at the moment. Because he really wasn't with me at that moment. I was with him, but he wasn't with me. And then something really cool happened. People turned, and, and I delivered this person because he was with me. The one thing I see with Joseph different than me, He seems like he's always with him. He's made the choice consistently. I just want to pray for you, beloved, and for me. It starts with this. I'm guilty. You're guilty because we've done wrong. We're we're human beings needing saving. And God so loved us, he sent Jesus to die on the cross to save us. Because he loves us. Because he wants to be with us. Have you accepted the gift of Jesus' His gift, his death on the cross, to pay for your guilt? Because if you haven't, Your guilt is between you and God, and Jesus loves you so much. The Father loves you so much, he would send his son to pay that price so that he could be with you, because everything about God is about being with you. Everything about him. You're like, why was I here for? And someone says, you were created to glorify God, I'd say, you missed it. You're created to worship God, I think you missed it. You're created to serve God, I think you missed it. You're created to be with God. All those other things are the product of it. I will serve God because I'm with him. I will worship Him because I'm with Him. I will glorify Him because I'm with Him. If I was created just for those other things, I could do them without Him, and I couldn't do them well. Matter of fact, I wouldn't do them at all well. you created to be with God. Have you accepted His gift that He has openly offered you so you can be with Him? Because if you are, if you have, then let us live in the clear recognition that He's with us. Whether that be because or but. If you haven't, I'd like to give you the honor to say yes to him today. Will you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you so much for my brothers and sisters in this room. I recognize some of them, Lord, that right now the circumstances they're on really seem to be very opposite of the calling that they know you've put on their lives. They feel like they're a bit obscured. Somehow they've been behind. Things are on top of them or whatever the case would be, Lord. And and I recognize that you know how to put us in the right place at the right time for the right purpose. And Lord, for those of us who are trying to make happen what you're not allowing happen and we're frustrated, I pray we could stop being the Pharaoh and start trusting. I know that's difficult. And that doesn't mean we sit on our couch and wait for you to throw something in our lap unless you tell us that. But I recognize most of the time you're going to tell us to be about your business. But you know what's I just find it so beautiful, Lord, that 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 if we would get beyond the moment, we would see how you have this planned out, at least a little bit more. And so I pray right now, Lord, for my brothers and sisters, any who might feel like right now, it's just a rough time for them. It's a rough time physically. It's a rough time financially. It's a rough time circumstantially. And Lord, in that, you never promised you'd give us lots of money or a huge car. Because to be honest, if you gave us all that, but you weren't with us, it would be worth nothing. What you did promise is you would be with us, even to the end of the age. God, you promised when we looked forward to the Messiah before you came, Jesus, you promised us Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, that's exactly who you are. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters right now, Lord, that maybe it's a lot more but than because. In their lives right now, Lord, it's but you're with me, but you're with me, but you're with me. But Lord, if we could recognize that, you were there to bring peace in that storm. Even if you don't still the storm, you can still the child that's in it. Take us out of the moment, God, as if our whole life is this moment. And show us, God, that you have a greater plan. And and in that, somehow may we trust the one who's holding the chisel, whatever that chisel is. And whether that chisel is a relationship gone sour, whether that chisel is a handful of bills, or whether that chisel is expenses or priorities, or whatever it is, God, in that, Lord, if we could just trust that in that you are using that situation to chisel us into what you want, God, I pray right now we could trust you But even in the weirdest of circumstances, you're still with us. That we don't have to do this. I don't feel you. Where are you? You're here with us. And it may be, but you're here with us, but still you are. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with us in a manner as you were with Joseph in this thing. That what we set our hands to, Lord, would prosper. And we recognize not everybody's going to stand up and applaud that. But that's no reason to stop. And I realized that that would be, if I were Joseph, that would be a temptation if I just did lousier and did more poorly, that maybe the situation wouldn't be so rough. And I know the temptation as a performer to to lack off a little bit on on your name or whatever, and I've watched people fall to that compromise, God, and and feel like they've gotten farther, but they've gotten farther in no place that's good. And God, I just pray right now for my brothers and sisters that you would not just give them peace, but be their peace right now in the midst of it. But also along those lines, God, I pray that you would... Give us the wisdom to be able to give you the because's as they rightly, as you rightly deserve, Lord. When a good thing happens because you're with us, that we would honor you, not glorify ourselves, but give you the credit you deserve. Because you're with us, you carry us through those moments, but you also bless us with all kinds of amazing other things too. And we want to thank you for that. Those moments when you've given us favor. Those moments when you've excelled us in some area. When those moments when all of a sudden we've walked in a room and something is made better when we leave. We recognize we don't have the power to do that, but you did it all. And because you're with us, good things happen. And because we're in this world, bad things happen, but you're still with us. And God, I just thank you that you are a God who is with us. And if you've never within this room, if you've never accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, or you're not sure if you have, right now you can, you can walk out of here, sure. I'm going to pray a simple prayer. And as I pray this simple prayer, listen closely. And if you agree with it, at the end I simply ask you to say a resounding confident amen. And what you're saying is, I agree, let those words be my words. Let that prayer be my prayer, so be it in my life. And here it is. God, I, I confess to you, I'm broken, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. And I also recognize that wrong must be punished if you're really a righteous judge. But I believe that you took the punishment I deserve and placed it on your son, Jesus the Christ, who died on the cross so that all of my wrong could be paid for, all of my sin, all of my filth, all of my guilt. And so my penalty died there at the cross. And then he rose again three days later, just like you promised He would in your scriptures. To offer me a new life. And in the repentance of the life I had once lived away from you, now I say yes to you. Yes to your gift on the cross. Yes to your resurrection. That I would have a new life and be the new creation you promised for me to be. And so I accept your gift, Jesus your innocence for my guilt, your life for my death. And Father, take me as your own as you've now purchased me with your Son. I gladly surrender myself to you, saying, here I am, have me, I'm yours. Here I am, I'm yours. I'm yours. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for the honor that it is to go through the Word with you in the privilege of being your pastor. Um, Hey, you know where we're going to be next week, the next chapter on. Jump in it and see what happens in that prison. You're going to find one of the most beautiful parallels with something that happens with Jesus, and I hope you find it before you get here. But do this if you would. As you head out of here, grab a friend, pray for them, especially if they're in that situation right now where it's more because than I'm sorry, it's more but than because. Make a friend and pray for him if you would. God bless you. Enjoy your day.